Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Heavenly Father, how wonderful it is to be in your house, Lord. Your presence, your anointing, your peace. You are here in your house and we are so glad that we may come to visit you. So please, Father, fill all of us by your anointing. And let we surrender ourselves fully unto you. And let we ask this in the glorious name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In His name alone we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Ben. As always, sometimes you feel you interrupting. You just want them to continue. Because the anointing is certainly here. And you are the brave ones tonight. Because this winter so far, as far as I'm concerned, hasn't been really that bad. Barring these last couple of days, well, especially today. So, may you be especially blessed. Amen. And those who are listening via the live stream, our family there, you will also be blessed. We also welcome you. You are never forgotten wherever you are. We greet you from wherever you are. And we welcome you in the holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that He too may speak with you in this evening. You know, it was quite profound that the first song tonight I saw on the list that they were singing was called Lift You Up. We lift you up. We lift God up. And it, the title for tonight is We Have to Build Ourselves Up. And for me, there's quite significance in this because when we talk about building up, Immediately, I think of buildings. Buildings, high-rise, tall buildings, through the ages have always been symbolic of economic prosperity. That's how nations reflect their wealth, their power, their, their strong economies, by, by building high buildings. And in the 1500s, 1600s, it was Europe. And then comes America in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and they start building tall buildings, and they became the economic powerhouse. There you have in the 1930s, round about there, you will have the Manhattan skyline, and then later on, and think of the 1970s, you had the Twin Towers. And it's always fascinating to watch how the, the, the powerhouse economy shifts, because right now it sits in the Middle East, because since the 2000s, They've just been building these skyscrapers. And it's a token of wealth and economic prosperity. I mean, Dubai's got three of those tall buildings. We've got the Burj Khalifa, and we've got the, I think, the, if I have the names right here that I wrote down here, the Princess Tower and the Marina, all built in the 2000s. But all buildings have got this one thing in common. Well, two things, actually. They've got two things in common, buildings. All of them are dependent upon a foundation, and all of them has an end. You can't keep on building a building. Engineering ingenuity is just not at the place that they can build them as high as they can. So they've got these two things in common. They have a foundation and they end. And I want to ask that the team, they please put on the picture for me at the back here because I want to explain something concerning this. 
Because you see, the Bible talks about buildings. It talks about the temple. It talks about us being built up. All of us are under construction. All of us are being built up in one way or another. The progress of each one of us and the pace at which it happens is dependent upon us. Our yieldedness, our surrenderedness to God. But all of you are busy with a building project in your own life. And God makes it very clear that there are foundations required and then there are certain steps to take to build upon that foundation. Now what you see here, and many of you probably know this, this is called as one of the wonders of the world, called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And it's in Italy. Now you may think this is quite an engineering work to have a tower lean this way. It wasn't. There are a few things I want to mention about this Tower of Pisa. It says it leans about four and a half meters towards the one side. And it, the reason that it is not falling over is not because it's leaning. It's because the center of gravity in this tower lies at the fourth floor. And it has a radius of about three meters, they say. And it is the center of gravity that keeps this building straight up. It's never going to fall because the center of gravity is the reason why that building stands. The only reason why this tower is leaning to the one side, it is because it has got what they call here an unstable foundation. That's the only reason. I think they say it's one of the wonders of the world, and I think many people probably think it's a wonder of the world because they wonder how it is staying up straight. I'm not taking away from what has been accomplished here, but the fact is an unstable foundation caused this. Great reconstruction took place quite some time ago where they actually changed the, the, the gradient where it was leaning five and a half degrees. It's now leaning about four degrees. So there is work being done to keep it the way that it is. But the center of gravity is what keeps it not from falling. And I couldn't help but thinking, center of gravity, no matter how often we feel like we are falling, how difficult life may be, our situation sometimes can become way beyond our control. If the center of gravity in your life is Christ, no matter how the winds blow you, you will not fall if you are anchored in Christ because your foundation is in Christ. And this is what I want to get to tonight. Thank you. Thank you um, to the team there at the back. I want us to go to the book of Jude as we're going to read a few verses there. And if I look at the book of Jude, you know, Jude for me is like an action movie being made. You know, if ever they want to make a mission impossible, they, they should use the book of Jude. But this will be called Mission Possible. It's just one chapter. But Jude shoots from the hip from the go. He points everything straight on what it is, what's wicked, what is wrong. Be careful for this. Watch out for this. And then he tells us what we must do to keep us in the hours that we are living in. And just a few verses, I'm just going to point to them. It's not what I'm going to read. We'll get to the verses that I want to get to read. But just there in verse 3, Jude writes, he says there, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you, in other words, encouraging you, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So there was faith delivered to all the saints 
But it's not the case anymore. Many of the saints had fallen. They're not walking in that faith. And Jude goes on. And then he, there in verse 5, he says there, firstly, he starts with Israel. They departed from God in, 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 in the desert. And he says what God did. And he, and, and he mixed his words, not at all. He says, God destroyed them. And then he goes on, he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah, he talks about the angels who, who left their former abode, and then he talks about the archangel Michael who had to contend with Satan himself for the body of Moses. He doesn't hold back, he tells straight what are the things that are evil in this world and what are they going to suffer. He's not uncertain about this. He's, he's, he's got like this machine gun and just shooting these bullets straight head on every single time. It's, it is a power, power letter that was written. Then verse 12, he says, all these people that have departed from the faith, for one reason, he said, because they served themselves. They served themselves. There in verse 13, he says, they were like raging waves of the sea. They were foaming up their own shame. Then in verse 14, he says, behold, the Lord is coming for them. God is coming for the wicked. We must know this. Those people are doing your harm, the wicked ones. Vengeance is not ours. Let God deal with them because God is coming for them. He says here, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment upon them all. God will judge them. God will judge them all. And then he says, and we're going to read now from verse 17. In all of this, it brings us to verse 17. We're going to read from verse 17 then. I'm reading it from the New King, New King James Version. And it says this. But you, beloved. That is all of you listening here. And you are via the live stream. You, beloved. Remember the words we were, which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He qualifies here, listen only to the words that were spoken by the apostles and he qualifies it of Jesus Christ. There are many apostles in the world out there, but the apostles of Jesus Christ, he brings to remembrance what they've said and he reminds them of what they've said. He says, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Verse 19, these are sensual persons who cause divisions and a most powerful statement, not having the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit. And now verse 20, but again he says to us, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Verse 20 and 21 is what I want to focus on in this evening because our foundation that must be built upon, you can see we are all under construction, but the success of any construction work lies in the foundation. It is what lies under the ground that you cannot see, but that foundation is what we're going to look into a little bit, delve into that and look upon what do we build that foundation on. The first step that Jude so eloquently helps us with here, he says there in verse 20, build up yourselves 
on your most holy faith. And the first thing that struck me here was, most holy faith? Is there any other faith? And God immediately pointed me out. He said, yes, there are many types of faiths. People have faith in themselves. You're all sitting here by faith. You have faith that this chair is going to hold your weight. When you leave this evening, you have faith that your car is still going to be there and you don't have to walk home. You see, there are different types of faith, but here God is very specific. Build yourself up only in this, this type of faith. Most holy faith. What does this mean? Most holy faith is this. It is faith that is being consecrated. It is a sacred alliance with God and God alone. That is the type of faith that you start building your foundation. When God says here, we've got to build on this, building yourselves up. He's not saying you must start with the foundation. No, this word that it says, you build yourself up. It says there, you build upon. In other words, there's already a foundation. You don't have to create a foundation. You must decide on whose foundation you're going to start building up. And the foundation here for us is the Word of God, which is Jesus Christ. If you build on any other foundation, it is sinking sand. It cannot stand. So God makes it very clear. We cannot build a foundation. We build upon a foundation. Because you see, there's a thing called parallel foundation here. And many people have started off in their walk with God. And at some point they depart from that because now things are going well. I am prospering in my prosperity. You know, life is going well with me. My family is doing well. Business is good. My education is good. And in the beginning I knew God. And then slowly but surely you started veering off that path and you're building a foundation parallel to God, but it's not faced on God alone. God says, you have departed from your first love. And if that is the case, that foundation is not going to stand. And then God says, the foundation that we need to build is one that is upwards. It speaks of continuing. It's a continuation of building upwards. If we look at the one that's building parallel, let's look at people in the Bible like Saul. Saul started off well. He was called out to be the king and he was, he, was, he was prophesying at one stage with the prophets. He was walking and he had victories in battles, but then at one stage he started walking away. He, he became a god unto himself. The accolades and the adoration of the people was great for him and slowly but surely departed from God. Another one was Gehazi. Gehazi was the servant of Elisha and Gehazi was walking with the prophet who had the double portion from Elijah. He saw all the miracles that Elisha did and in the end, when Elisha had to pray for Naaman, the one general in the army, that he had to be healed from leprosy, this king came with so many uh, um, spoils that he wanted to give and bestow and bless Elisha. Elisha declined it all and he said, I will not receive because the gift of God that he received, there was no price attached to that. And as that particular uh, general in that army left, Gehazi chased after him and he said, and he lied to him. He says, well, there are others coming and we need this. And then when he came back and Elijah asked him about it, he, he denied it. And Elijah said to him, that which came upon Naaman will be with you and your family for the rest of your life. Leprosy. 
leprosy for him and his family for the rest of their lives. I tell you, when you're trying to walk with a parallel, with a parallel foundation next to God, you will suffer because of this. We have to be very clear that our foundation is built on God and God alone. God doesn't compete for us. He's already paid the price. He sent His Son. He doesn't, doesn't have to fight for our affection. We must prove to Him how great He is by we surrendering ourselves and building our foundation foundation on Christ. You know, God says then further, He says we must build up, build up your foundation, build up. That means it is continuing. This is the difference between buildings, any tall building, the tallest building in the world has got an end, but for Christians, there is no end when we build ourselves up in God, spending time in the Word of God, searching the Scriptures, studying it, praying about it, living it, becoming part of your DNA. There's no end to that because there is no end to Him in which you are anchored. There's no end to God. He's the eternal God. And this is why when we build up. It's like Haggai. If you read the book of Haggai, Haggai talks about God sends a prophet here to Judah. Now they've just returned from exile for 70 years. You would think after 70 years, you would be so desperate for God that you would want to do nothing else but just seek Him, raise up His temple, be there with Him, get to the laws and the commands, change from your wicked ways because you've been punished. But they have just returned to Jerusalem with the instruction to go and build the temple. And within a few months, they stopped that. They stopped building the temple. What did they do? They started building their own houses. They started building parallel foundations. No, my house, my future is more important than God. I will neglect God's temple, who by the way, for 70 years, catered for me and took care of me whilst I was in captivity. But now I'm hardly a few months back into the nation of, of Israel in Jerusalem and the people start departing. So Haggai goes to them and he rebukes them and tells them that the Lord is angry with them. Thank God they repented. They repented of that and they went back to build again. That is the power of the foundation when it is built on God. Why does God want them then at that time? Why did He want them to build the temple again? Because when you build the temple of God and you take care of God's house, God takes care of your house. That is the foundation of everything. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because when God's house is open, when we spend time and we build the house of God, we start learning who He is, His commands, His laws, and His precepts, all of that becomes known to us. All of this is so significant and, those, and, and so important. This is what Haggai was pointing out to, 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 to the nation of Judah, how they have erred in this. The second thing that that Jude points out to us, he says, now he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. So you build a foundation, build that, build yourself up in the faith, the most holy faith. He says, now, because faith is the foundation, we now start building on that. And the first is praying in the Spirit. Why does he say not just praying, but praying in the Spirit? It is so powerful because this kind of prayer you can't rehearse. 
It comes spontaneous. It requires the baptism in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I give over so that God's Spirit can come upon me that I may pray God's perfect will. I do not seek my will. I do not pray the things that I want, but I pray in a heavenly language that which is pleasing to God's ears, praying His perfect will. Romans 8.26 helps us in saying this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 4 says this, and this is the whole purpose of this praying in the Spirit. God says here, we need to edify ourselves. Edify means build up. This is what we're doing. We are edifying ourselves. 1 Corinthians 4 verses 4 says this. It says here, he who speaks in an unknown tongue edifies himself. When there's prophecy, we edify the body of Christ. We first have to edify and build up ourselves before we can build up the body of Christ. How can the body of Christ be strong if its members aren't strong? We have to take care of ourselves from that perspective by building up ourselves and edifying ourselves for the benefit of the body of Christ. And we do that by the foundation that is laid before us through God's Word, getting to know who God's Word is, walking in His ways, knowing who the author is. He says, Jesus says, He's the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. You think there's joy in going to a cross? If any one of us have to go to the cross and have to die on the cross, what joy is there? I know I'm going to die. What joy is there? But Jesus says, He says, that was the joy that was set before Him. Why? Because He was thinking of who? Thinking of who? You and me. That was the joy for Him because we would come out of that slavery of sin and we would become free. And now God says, because of that, that spirit of adoption, we are joined as with Christ. Christ has been alone in the heavens all the time without us and He's doing now intercession for us. He can't wait to come back that we are with Him. We are His bride. But praying in the Holy Spirit Praying in that particular way draws us into a place where we are fully yielded unto God. We don't think about what we say. All we pray is God's perfect will. I'm so glad that this is, this is one of the foundations that we use in the Bible school. In your very first year, we cover the Holy Spirit, who He is, what He does, where He fits into the Trinity. What was His purpose? Then we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Then we cover the gifts of the Spirit, of which praying in, 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 in tongues, or, or tongues and interpretation of tongues are just two of those gifts. And then we talk about walking in the Spirit, how we ought to walk. He says, walk in the Spirit and do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know, God's Word is so wonderful. He gives us this. He teaches us that we must walk in the Spirit. And then He shows us how we ought to do it. He says, first, avoid the traps. In Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21. Here's the trap. This is the fruit of the flesh. Avoid that. And then he points us, but here is how you ought to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot go wrong if you're in this Word, if that is the foundation. On faith, we now build by praying in the Spirit. Then we go to the third one. And here Jude says, now keeping yourselves to the love of God. This keeping yourselves means that you hold fast to it means, in Greek, this is what it means there. Keep an eye upon, 
that you don't escape and keep on maintaining your love of God. How powerful is that? How do we show our love to God? God clarifies it in His Word. Obey my commands. In this we show our love to our Heavenly Father by obeying our commands. A British politician by the name of William Wilberforce. Every day from work, he would walk from Parliament through Hyde Park in, in London on his way home, and he would recite Psalm 119. 119. He would recite that. You would think, how can one recite or memorize Psalm 119? I'll prove to you that it can be done today. Whom of you can recite your ID number for me? Come on, put out your hands. Who knows your ID number? Whom of you can recite and tell me what's your mobile number, your cell phone number? Okay. You may say, oh, he's trying to be clever because these are all numbers. Okay, then I'm saying to you, who can tell me exactly what is your home address? Because there's words in there. The fact is, you often are exposed to that. Those numbers and those words that, uh, that addresses. You've learned it because it's been asked of you and you've made sure that I know this and therefore I can give it to any person. That is how you recite the Bible. That is how you start memorizing. The same way you spend time in it and then you start remembering what the Word says. The great difference between reciting or memorizing the Word of God is that here comes revelation when you do that. This man was able to recite and memorize and every day when he prays, he prays on. 119, 176 verses. He could do this. You know what is the power of Psalm 119? Right, I want to use the word slap bang in the middle of the word of God is Psalm 118 and 119. And Psalm 119 consists of 22 what they call stanzas. In other words, sections it is divided up in 22 sections, each one of them representing a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Your translations most probably will tell you that as well. And each of those particular letters of the Hebrew alphabet has got eight verses. In the Hebrew, every one of those verses corresponding with that letter, the first letter of those sentences starts with that same Hebrew letter. So if we've got Aleph as the first Psalm 119 verse 1, every eight verses following starts with the letter Aleph. Then bait the same thing until Tav at the end. Why does God put that in the middle of the Word of God? Because right in the middle of God's Word, God puts His Word, which is the Hebrew alphabet, the 22 letters. It is the Aleph Tav. It is who God is. That is the fascinating part about God's Word. And so much more you can learn. And we will teach you that in the Bible school. So yes, you've got to come to the Bible school. We teach you all these funny things, the interesting things, you know. But the fact is that to love God, here the word love that is used is the word agape in, in, in Greek. And that is, that is the God kind of love, the this, this, this sacrificial kind of love. But it's interesting that for you and me as the Christian, God en encompasses all four uh, aspects of love. In Greek, it is the, the storge, the phileo, the eros, and the agape. All four of them are included. So it is the affection you have, the brotherly love that you have, the romantic or the passion or the intimacy, and then also the godly love. You put all those four together. You only get that in marriage. 
when you are in covenant with God. We who are in covenant with God will experience all four kinds of love. But the highest of it all is love, the love for God. And this is what God is pointing out here. The fourth one and the last one that Jude tells us here, he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And I want to read to you how the Greek just totally just blows it open. It says here, it says here, Looking for means, that, that what it means, it says, we are hoping with expectation and we are accepting with confidence and patience our Lord Jesus' mercy. This mercy which pertains to eternal life. Why is this mercy relative here? Why does Jude talk about uh, eternal life here? Because our Lord Jesus is coming back. It is by mercy that we are going to be partakers of that, but He's coming back. And God has reserved judgment unto His Son alone. Our Lord Jesus is going to judge when He returns. Uh, I'll read for you that to confirm. Don't always believe what I say. You must believe what the Word of God says. 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 says this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His, keep, and His kingdom. Where is the mercy in this? When judgment is going to come, we will escape because of mercy. When, when that judgment comes, God is going to say, these are the ones who believed in my son. And Jesus is going to say, you are excused because of my mercy. You accepted my salvation work. Therefore, you will not be judged, but you will receive crowns. Not only do we escape judgment, but God gives us crowns in return. How wonderful is that? It's like a double whammy that we get. How powerful is that? But there is more. There is more. In closing in this, what Jude tells us, he says, the fullness of all of this lies within God. And God is represented here in its trinity. The fullness of God is here. Right through the word of God, you find the trinity. In the beginning, in Genesis 1 verses 2, the trinity was present there at creation. At our Lord Jesus Christ, at His baptism, the trinity was there. It says, God the Father said, this is my beloved son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. Here, Jude says this. So let's go back. It says here, to study and to grow in God's word, he says here, we pray in the Holy Spirit. We must keep ourselves in the love of God. And now we walk in the mercy and expect the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Trinity is the fullness of God upon which the foundation is. I want to ask that they put up the next slide for me. I just want to prove something, just how fascinating and amazing our God is. That the Trinity, you can't escape wherever you want to go. This is a picture of the topography of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem consists of three mountain ranges. And those three mountain ranges all represent the Holy Trinity. On your right-hand side where you sit, number one will be the Mount of Olives. Number two will be Mount Moriah. Number three will be Mount Zion. Why are they representative of the Holy Trinity? Number one, which is the Mount of Olives, it's where our Lord Jesus Christ ascended to the heavens. And the Word of God says in Ezekiel 14, 4, He's going to return the exact same way on the Mount of Olives. In fact, it says the Mount of Olives are going to split not, not from left to right, but from east to west. And it says, when that mountain is split, the one half is going to move to the north and the one to the south with a valley in between. 
And there's all kinds of prophetic significance in this. And just one that comes to mind. The two mountains opposite one another with a valley in between. Our Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Son of Man. But that is just the Mount of Olivet. Mount Moriah is where God created. This is where Abraham sacrificed his son Isaac. This is why it's representative of our Lord of our Father in the heavens. Mount Zion is where the upper room was and where the Holy Spirit came down. You see, even in the land of Israel, in the city of peace, Jerusalem, you've got the Holy Trinity even there. You can't escape it. The foundation upon which we are building up is the fullness of the Trinity. Thank you, team, there at the back. I am closing off for us. I'm closing off for us. Building up. What are you building up? What is the construction work that is taking place in your lives? Because if it is not built up on the foundation of the Holy Trinity of God, where God proves now here through His loves, through praying in the Spirit, and through the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, every other foundation is not going to stand. You stand on this, and you build upon this, and you will overcome every situation. Jude writes this, and he says, all these evil things that are happening in the world, he says, God's going to judge them. God will deal with them. But you build up your most holy faith upon these things, and you'll be anchored for the rest of your life. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.